0: It, this is part of the work, part of the labor, uh, part of the sacrifice to, to make progress. So again, we're just giving some overviews of this subject and encourage you to pick up some of the other books and read in between. We'll be a, I don't recall the dates for our next one next month. Anybody remember, remember that? You have it? April 9th, uh, that weekend. So uh, we'll be, I'm not sure what the topic will be next time, but uh, Roy and Nathan, we need to get together on that soon. Um, we welcome your feedback. If you have suggestions or uh, recommendations, complaints, um, let me know so we can possibly address them. I won't promise, but we'll try. And uh, so with that said, let's, uh, let's get started with our last session here. Father, we thank you. Again, for your word that directs us, that shapes us, and forms us, we thank you that you disciple us. You are the one ultimately at work conforming us to the image of your Son. We thank you that you not only began a work in us, but you have promised to complete that work. We thank you that you've revealed that we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And that that, those good works are the outflowing of your love, and uh, we are called to be those lovers. Help us to do that in the church. Help us to do that with our families, and help us to do that with the world. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 28, 18-20, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, So the Great Commission, as that is called, some of the last words Jesus spoke to His disciples, is typically used as the example for engaging in what we call missions, as it illustrates God's heart for the nations. So we can go back to Abraham, when God called Abraham, He called Abraham and said He was going to be a blessing, and He and His descendants Uh, we're going to be a blessing to the nations, and that was a clear reference to the gospel. Christ being the seed of Abraham that would be the blessing to the nations. But as children of Abraham, we, in taking the gospel to the world, are a blessing to the world. This is, uh, as Nathan was alluding to, in terms of Christ being the one true man, the only hope, that we have, and, and the gospel is the message of Christ, of his person, of his work, because it is the only hope that we have. And so that's why it's such good news, even though it's rejected. Just as he was rejected, the message is rejected, we're often rejected, the world hated Christ, they'll sometimes often hate us, but that doesn't change the mission. And the mission is to conquer the world, for Christ, and there's always this temptation. Families do this sometimes where it's all about them. It's all about me and my wife and my kids and what I've got going on, and then the church becomes secondary to them. It's kind of a take it or leave it. Yeah, we go to worship, but the other things, you know, we we put family first, and there's a lot to be said for that, but it can be abused. It can be imbalanced. We can make an idol of the family and neglect the other things God's called us to. We can do the same thing with church. Church can take over lives and you know eat up all of our time and all of our energy, and we we neglect our families and we neglect other things. God's called us to all these things. He's called us to the church. He's called us to our families. As I've said, the church is an outpost to the kingdom, and our families are an outpost of the church. But those outposts also are called to reach out beyond themselves to our community, to other communities, indeed, to the whole world. So discipleship is comprehensive. It's both individual and corporate, and it is local, and it's distant. So we send out people to go to other places. So if, if a child is born into your home, uh, we baptize that child because that child uh, who was born a sinner is born into a Christian home and into a Christian church. Uh, think of that as a child born, who's ill with a terminal illness born into the hospital where the remedy is. Think of baptism like the hospital bracelet that says, you belong here, you're a patient. And, and the Bible is the remedy, the word of God, and the pastor's, and teachers and parents are like doctors and nurses who are applying that remedy from day one, uh, applying salvation. The scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. Timothy, you have known these scriptures from the time you were a nursing baby, a brephos, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So that's that picture. But what about children who are not born into Christian families and churches They're out there. We need to go get them. We need to take the gospel, the remedy to them. Actually, we go get them and we bring them to the church and they're baptized and we make disciples of them. And a disciple is a student. So now they're going to begin learning Christ. That is the mission. And so Jesus is telling his disciples to go to all the nations and turn them into disciples, and since Jesus says this, and it's one of the last things he says, it certainly must be important. What we often miss in those last words of Jesus is the command to teach people to obey what Jesus taught, teach them everything I taught you. Uh, we have the going to people in the nations, and we also have the teaching of the nations, It is not an either or scenario, but rather a both and situation. So the relationship between discipleship and missions is significant. These two key elements of the Christian life can't be separated and one can't be really done without the other. I think sometimes we think of missions as more on the, primarily about evangelism, reaching the lost. But remember, salvation comes from converting people who were going their way, uh, seeing them turn around and go in a new way, to follow Christ, to obey Christ, to know Christ, to become like Christ. That is the mission. That's what being converted is about. It's not about just getting your ticket to heaven. It is about changing your entire direction. And so we do missions because we want to see more disciples We engage in mission work because we want to do the types of things that lead people to become committed followers of Jesus, and this is the door we enter through to begin that process of discipleship. It starts local and then expands to fill the earth. Growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, I heard many stories of missionaries and also uh, the call for missionaries. I heard about the great mission movements, both foreign missions and home missions. And as we see, as we see in the passage we read in the Great Commission, missions involves more than that initial work of evangelism. The mission is broad and deep. Uh, and our post-millennial, uh, eschatology helps with this too because we start thinking generationally about not just seeing individual people converted to Christ, or even growing in Christ, but we start thinking about churches and uh, education and other works of Christ. That's where a lot of the hospitals were established, um, missions of mercy to people to show the love of Christ and the healing of Christ. And so, uh, and and then that expands out into the whole culture as a as a culture is discipled. It should show up in the work ethic. It shows up in marriages and in child-rearing and in business and in finance. And so the salt, as it were, is permeating the culture and doing its work. And so uh, it includes exhorting and strengthening the brethren. There is also a mutual back and forth between various churches as they work together within a culture It takes time. Uh, Silas, Paul, and Barnabas stayed in Antioch for a while, teaching and preaching. Um, And and later, Paul and Barnabas would launch out to do other mission work in other places. So every time a new beachhead is established uh, in a little while, pretty soon they're sending people out. And so there's this multiplication process going on. I believe that God in his mercy providentially, obviously, uh, sent the persecution to the church or allowed it to come uh, to disperse his people all over the place from Antioch and Jerusalem. Otherwise, those would be the only two churches. But they were kind of people kind of forced to go other places. And as they went to other places, new churches cropped up. So it's good for us to remember that every church you see had a beginning in some form of mission work. When I moved to Nacogdoches in the summer of 2000, this church was formally a mission church. Over the last 37 years, I've had the privilege of helping plant seven mission churches. So every church starts as a mission, and actually every church continues to be a mission church. We have a mission And that mission is worship, that mission is fellowship and communion, but that mission is also outreach to others. And so, again, our mission includes uh, evangelism, baptism and discipleship, establishing churches or communities, and, of course, worship. Acts 15, verses 30 through 36, and then Acts 16, verse 5, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And then Paul and Silas met Timothy and Lystra, and Timothy joined them on their mission. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. And increased in number daily. So you see both the growing of the church numerically, but also being strengthened. That's discipleship, maturing, becoming more Christ-like. So that's the living, you know, we rejoice over the birth of a child, as we should. We have baby showers and we give gifts and we make glorious announcements. But then we know the real work starts, right? Raising that child, that's going to take time. And we want to see progress and maturity. And they go through these various stages. But that is the beauty of what life is about. It's not just about birth. Birth, it's like a marriage or a wedding. A wedding is the beginning of the hard part, the marriage. And we put all this emphasis on the wedding or on the birth, as we should. It's a great moment. But we need to understand that it's the beginning, not the end. Now the day-in, day-out work begins. So, as the first disciples did, we too should be constantly looking for opportunities. It's in the context of being busy about the routine of God's work that special opportunities present themselves. This is what happened when Paul was in Athens. Remember, he's there waiting for his compatriots to join him, and he decides to go for a walk in Athens and look around, and there he notices all these idols, these false gods, and the remember the one that was to the unknown God, and he, he, it says he just began to talk to whoever was there, just one-on-one conversations. Pretty soon somebody else's little crowd has gathered to listen. And then a bigger crowd. Next thing somebody says, Hey, we need you down at the Areopagus. Come with us. We got an even bigger crowd for you to talk to. We love to hear new things, and you're what you're talking about's new to us. Come on with us. And we have the famous address in Acts 17, where Paul addresses the Areopagus, the, the assembly of the leadership there. And we see at the end of Acts 17, after he finishes speaking, it says, Some mocked him. Some said, we'd like to hear more. And then it says, almost matter of factly, and some believed, including one of the leaders of the Areopagus. And so that's that was the work of missions, finding, just creating a new opportunity, if you will. And so they were conscious of doing uh, what they were conscious of doing was establishing new churches in three Roman provinces, that is, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And um, God's providence both opens and closes doors. In various ways, they were prevented by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, this is kind of interesting Um They moved on to the next likely location for their mission work, but again, the Holy Spirit blocked that effort as well. How might that happen? Well, maybe they didn't have the money. Maybe who the person they thought was going to set up a place for them to stay or an opportunity for them to speak or whatever was needed just didn't materialize. We we wanted to go there, but we couldn't go there. Um, There's any number of ways that... Our, that things can be blocked. We say, if we said, let's plant, let's try to plant a church in Shreveport, uh, and we start talking about it and planning it and how would we do it and what's it going to cost and where would it be and how do we let it be known and there's all kinds of questions. We could do all kinds of planning, but then at the end, if a year later we haven't found anybody to lead it, or there's not enough people to be interested, we'd say, well, apparently that wasn't what the Lord wanted at this time. Um, So later, though, it's interesting that all of those regions that that we're talking about that were blocked opened up to the gospel, but the Holy Spirit determines even the timing of these kinds of events. So providentially, or by default, they found themselves in Troas, they must have been perplexed, having come all the way from the southeast to the northwest extremities of Asia Minor. So far, their guidance had been almost entirely negative. Yes, sir. I just want to add, I think I read somewhere area where into is Serbia and even Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, as you look at world history and you see how the gospel has moved here or there, I think I'm going to argue, I think the gospel has in many ways gone to the whole world. Um, And But that doesn't mean that there aren't aftermaths and places. Certainly the West has benefited far more uh, from the gospel than the East. Um, But God's not through yet either. Um, So now, after they've had these what we call negative Situation: We tried to go here and we couldn't go. We tried to go there and the door was closed. And now, now they find receive a positive or what we call an open door to go. And like like us, they face some of the normal frustrations. Second Corinthians two twelve and thirteen. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So often in our labors of mission work and making disciples of the nation, there's just the routine things. I guess I'm sharing this because I want us to recognize, number one, everything is not some big program we just plug into and it automatically works. God's just called us to, to be busy where we are, doing what we can, looking for opportunities, and even when he opens a door, it doesn't mean it's all gonna be smooth sailing. There are gonna be challenges. There are gonna be difficulties. And that's to really an understatement. Uh yes, sir. In, in, in acts, when he goes to Macedonia, they're to prison. Yes. Yes. It didn't fit the program, did it? that's That's a really good point, is God knows who he wants. God is the one who saves, right? Paul planted and polished water and God gave the increase, but we don't know where the increase is. We're called to go spread the seed, water the seed, and recognize that God is going to do unexpected things in that work. And, and not many wives and, and so forth, 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, so God is gonna take His word when we spread His word wherever it is. At, at the grocery store, with your next door neighbor, with your family, or off on a mission trip. As His word goes forth, His word is living and active and powerful and it does things and again, I use the word, and I hope you always know when I use the word magic, I'm using that in air, with air quotes. I don't mean black arts here. I just mean it's a mystery. How does the word do that? But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is powerful. It What did it do? It created the whole world out of nothing. That's the word that we are taking, and that's what the gospel word still does. It takes dead people and raises them up and turns them into living people. And it does it in a way I can't explain. So, now there are often, though, extraordinary, ex, there were, were extraordinary means that we see in the Bible, and it sure seems like extraordinary means such as visions would come in handy and make life's decisions a lot easier, but such extraordinary means are not available to us. Nevertheless, God uses ordinary means to accomplish the same things. Why? Well, I think in special periods in in the history of the Bible, uh, when God is introducing something, as he was with the work of the apostles, he gives these miracles and these extraordinary things, an emphasis to draw attention to and to verify and validate that God is, in fact, doing something. But once that period is passed and the new thing is established, then the ordinary means set in. Uh, How do we know when the Lord is leading us? Well, I'd say all these things must be present. There should be that there's a desire and an interest How do I know that we need to plant a church somewhere? Well, there's some people there who want one. There's somebody in the church who says, hey, I'm interested in doing this. That would be one thing. That's not enough, but it's a necessary thing, but it's not a sufficient thing. There's going to have to be other things. Wanting it is not enough, but it is essential. Opportunity and need. We already have 14 churches there. We don't need 15. Okay. Or we have no churches there. We need one. There is a need. Wise counsel. We don't just run out there on our own. And say, God told me to start a church. The gifts and the means. Has God provided those to do to meet those needs. So all of those things have to come together. To, that's how the Lord leads us in very kind of ordinary ways. We should, while we should be cautious in reading providences, such and such happened, therefore the Lord must be telling us to do X. I think that's presumptuous to speak that way. How about if we said, since such and such happened, it seems like perhaps maybe the Lord is leading us to do this. We'll see. We're going to pray about it. We're going to take two more steps in that direction and see if he continues to open up this opportunity. That would be the wise and prudent way to speak and not be presumptuous about what God is or isn't doing. Um, Moreover, we also must work with the wisdom of others. Um, Where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. God uses that. Arthur T. Pearson in his book, The Acts of the Holy Spirit, drew attention to what he called, quote, the double guidance of the apostle and his companions, namely, on the one hand, prohibition and restraint, and on the other, permission and constraint. They are forbidden in one direction and invited in another. One way the Spirit says, go not, and the other he calls, come so we, we look for how God is working and we see that in these various circumstances. So, we know there's a general need for the gospel everywhere. Uh, all the lost people in the world need the gospel. We know that generally we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But in the final analysis, we must go to some particular place and preach to some particular people at a particular time. Paul even talks about, pray pray that my speech will be seasoned as it were with salt so that I might know how to speak to each person, to each man. And God himself is the chief strategist. So part of God's ordinary means of moving us from one point to another is the persuasiveness of others. Remember, we're the body of Christ. So might Christ use some part of the body to to lead us and instruct us and so forth? This is how we learn about particular needs, for example. This is how God works in our hearts and minds. Calvin writes of William Farrell, the leader of the Genevan Reformation, and he said this, Farrell, who burned with an extraordinary zeal to advance the gospel, immediately strained every nerve to to detain me. He's trying to get Calvin to come to Geneva. And after having learned that my heart, this is Calvin, was set upon devoting myself to private studies for which I wished to keep myself free from other pursuits, and finding that he gained nothing by his entries, he proceeded to utter an imprecation that God would curse my retirement and tranquility of the studies which I sought if I should withdraw and refuse to give assistance when when the necessity was so urgent." By this imprecation, I was so stricken with terror that I, did, I desisted from my journey I had undertaken. Calvin said, I just want to stay home and read and think and pray and be unencumbered by all of that. But now God sends Pharaoh there to interrupt that. And basically, Pharaoh says, well, I'm going to pray God's going to mess up your retirement and uh, make you miserable and so, uh, that's, that's how, how God used Pharaoh. God usually makes a path straight by allowing the necessary preparations to proceed without too much difficulty. Practical considerations such as a place to go, the needed funds, supplies, the means to get there, and so forth. The sum total of all these things came together in a confluence of providences to bring about unanimity and consensus among the group uh, when it, in regard to Paul and Silas and so forth. So Paul, Silas, and Barnabas left for Antioch with the confidence that this was God's will and that God would bless their missionary effort. Now, God's original purpose uh, for the world was for it to be an expansion of the eternal Loving communion of the Trinity. One great mission. Fill the earth with God glorifiers. With God worshipers. With Christ with images. That's what we're all called to be. And he wants the earth filled with that. That's the mission. That's the mission with your children. That's the mission with our church. And that's ultimately the mission for the world. That's what we're called to. Man and woman created in the image of God were to be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth with more and more God-glorifying images and expanding the loving community or communion. Sin spoiled the plan, destroying the communion, separating man from God and man from man and man from woman. This separation is enmity and death. But he sent his son to address this central problem. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That is the gospel. That's the good news. You don't have to stay uh, alienated from God or alienated from one another. There's peace to be had in Christ by, because he deals with sin, which is the problem, and he restores life. You were separated because of sin, that's death, separation and death. And now you're going to be restored because we've removed the obstacle. There's a means for dealing with this. So the gospel, the good news, was uh, this was now the mission, and it's the same mission that remains with us today. The world is... Messed up, to put it mildly. And as Nathan pointed out, there is no joy, and no joy even possible apart from the gospel. So all the remedies, all the suggestions, all the stimulus packages, all the politicians' promises are of no avail. They cannot give you what you want. Only Christ can do that. Only the gospel can do that. Only. This is not one among three or four possibilities. You have your view and I have mine. We have our way of finding peace and joy and you have your way of finding peace and joy. The claim of Christ and the gospel is there is no peace and there is no joy apart from dealing with sin. And the only way that's dealt with is in Christ. The day of Pentecost marked the beginning of the worldwide expansion of, of that mission that began in Israel, and now from Jerusalem it would reach the ends of the earth. So you remember what Jesus says in Acts 1.8 to his disciples who've gathered, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Think of concentric circles here. Start where you are, Jerusalem, and then we're going to expand out. That's, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me. And what does that mean? It means tell them about, turn from your sins and come to Christ. That's evangelism. But it's also to do what he said in the Great Commission. Teach them whatsoever I've commanded you. We're going to tell you everything Jesus said. We're going to tell you about all of God's word. That's what transforms We're going to talk to you about what he said about husbands and wives and children and money and politics and work and every other subject you can imagine. This is comprehensive. But thus Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and we still preach today, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Remember, that's the problem so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. There's a lot in there. And so... First, we're going to deal with your sins. That's the main problem. Now we can begin uh, this work of preaching Christ uh, and his restoring all things. What's that mean? We need to go, we're going to restore what was broken, what was taken apart from paradise, from before the fall. Actually, not only only going to be restored, it's going to even be better. And so... Twenty-plus years ago, this church was the story of a new mission work. Um, several of you are sitting in the room who were there when that happened. Did you guys make any mistakes uh, as you look back? Uh, of course. Uh, everybody, when we're babes, when we're beginners, when we're doing something we haven't done before, we just we don't know what to do sometimes. We just do the next thing. We do the best we can. And then God's grace covers our, just like you do with your children when they're two and they're trying to do something, or when they're four and they're trying to pour the milk and you know it's going to get spilled, you you stand by and you help them a little bit and you guide them and you help them clean up the spill when it happens until they get good at it. And so a group... Um, An opportunity presented itself to me and to Marinell to work with this very small group of Christians in Nacogdoches, Texas, as they expressed an interest in a church and in calling a pastor. So we began to pray about it, though we were doubtful that this is where we would go. Nevertheless, we wanted to remain open to God's call, uh, desiring to be where he wanted us to be. And so I'd been involved with the Nacogdoches group for a couple of years and then formally taking them on as a mission church when we were still in Texarkana. Uh, we had a natural interest in their well-being and their success. Uh, many things attracted us to them, but not everything. Um, I didn't say not everyone. I said <laughs> not everything. And I think they would certainly say the same about me. Um, though we were not yet convinced that this was where we ought to be. We just weren't there yet. We didn't know. And at that time, we were still inclined to go in another direction. Then the pleading came. Uh, David appeared, uh, not in a dream, but in the flesh. Um, he was every bit as earnest as the man Paul saw in his Macedonian vision. You caught. Nacodonia, yeah. Um, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say that uh David, as Calvin did a feral, that he strained every nerve to detain me. <laughs> now you get on everybody's nerve. That's a different... Um, though he did stop short of invoking Im- imprecation against me, at least to my face. Um he earnestly pled with me concerning their need for a pastor. Uh, the need for an established Reformed church was great in the city, and his arguments were persuasive. And God not only changed our minds, but turned our hearts. Uh, almost, I would—I don't have a lot of charismatic experiences, but this was one of them. Where I just say, I don't know what happened. God just gave us a desire. That really was surprising in some ways. The Nacogdoches Church extended a formal call to me to become their pastor. I began to seek an answer to that call, met with the elders uh, in the church in Texarkana, sought counsel from other pastors. Uh, after much discussion, I received an unqualified blessing of, of the session from the Texarkana Church, and we showed up wobbly and very uncertain ready to see what God would do with our meager loaves and fishes. And um, so we need to remember, my point of telling that story is that every local church is a mission work, an outpost of the kingdom, baptizing and making disciples of the nations. Um, Like the original creation mandate, the church was to multiply and fill the earth with God-glorifiers. The mission is to expand, again, the loving communion to every tribe, tongue, and nation. As local churches or missions are established, and they do have to get established like any growing family, then we look to expand and to reach out further and further, spreading the good news. We do this in many ways. We do it by having children. We preach and teach, which equips the saints for ministry with the publication and distribution of literature and audio, with ministries of good works in our communities, with schools and with works of charity. Every day and in every place, the mission work of the local church reaches out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So looking back at these 20 plus years of this mission, we can see that God has blessed our missionary endeavors. We've had over hundred baptisms since the church started um, over a thousand uh, worship services and sermons over two thousand Bible studies, countless fellowship meals and feasts innumerable occasions of biblical counsel and and and, and uh, discipleship, thousands and thousands of prayers millions of dollars and many thousands given for foreign and local missions. Thousands in charity have been given to those in need. We started two camps that have helped disciple hundreds of young people. Our website, for example, had over 7,000 sermons and lessons played just this past year. We helped start and maintain a Christian school. We adopted children. And much more could be added, but the point is that the mission work goes on every day from this little church and every other little church, or big church. Those are relative terms compared to the, to the big church. They're all little. Um Moreover, God has thousands and thousands of churches throughout the world and throughout history that are doing the same kinds of things, and and there, but there's always more that can be done, um, just in our own circle. So the mission work here in Nacogdoches will continue, Lord willing, for many generations. And I'm thankful now to be seeing the third generation. Um, so, so now once we were established, then we started looking over the horizon and realizing there are many other places beyond our local reach that need the good news too. So we look for those opportunities. There's more need than we have the ability to meet. That doesn't mean we can't meet some needs. Um, Not only do our local churches engage in this ongoing work, but so does the broader church. And so God is directing his people through the world And throughout history to bring light to all the nations, to disciple all the nations. One reminder, because we think sometimes that somehow we're not being that effective. If you watch the news, you would get the impression that the church, the church usually makes the news when? When some kind of a scandal occurs. All the stuff I just listed, just even about our church, much less every other church, all the good works, all the prayers, all the teaching, all the love, all the things that go on, does that get reported? No, but it's going on. It's happening. I remember this some years ago, uh, Jane Fonda had a book out, and I can't remember the title, but it was about sex. And it was on the New York Times, number one on the New York Times bestseller list because it had sold 15,000 copies that month. Francis Schaeffer's Christian, A Christian Manifesto that same month sold 250,000 copies and it was nowhere to be found on the New York Times bestseller list. Actually, I think that's good. We're flying under the radar. God wants us there. Keep it up. It is working. The nations in history have come and gone. The politicians have come and gone. Jesus just came. He hadn't gone. He's still marching through the earth. In the, in the presence of his people. We are his body. We're still here. And even when the church, people have attempted to stamp out the church and drive it underground, it's like driving a river underground. It is going to burst forth somewhere. So, we're part of a small young denomination that now reaches into at least 12 countries. In the five years that I served as the presiding minister of the CREC council back then, that's been 10 years ago or more, our group of 22 churches grew to include 85 churches. Most of those were new churches. All of that was mission work, and we shouldn't take any of that lightly. Now, there's always a few who look around and they want to say, uh, they want to know why we aren't doing more for this, that, or the other group. Um And I say to them, show us what that looks like. Go for it. Who are you talking to? Who are you ministering to? Who are you discipling? Um, You see, mission work is about way more than virtue signaling. It's about doing a lot of little unseen but important things in the kingdom of God. Some mission work is big and formal and involves committees and budgets. I'm currently working with an international missions committee in our denomination. Um, try to get a Zoom call together between uh, Athens, uh, Poland, Japan, uh, Africa, and the United States. Somehow I always draw the midnight uh, slot <laughs> in order to get all those time zones into a meeting. But isn't that a blessing? Isn't that amazing that we could do something like that? Um, Most of the mission work is done by everyday Christians at an informal level, together with, remember when I say missions, I'm talking about discipleship, because that is the mission. Both kinds of mission work, formal and informal, expand the kingdom of God. And And so in God's providence, he opens doors of opportunity that we could never accomplish on our own. Um, and you've heard me, you know, say, and I'll just remind you what's going on in Uzbekistan uh, with Oleg. So we have a Russian pastor who, over a period of many years, came here when he first came, uh, didn't speak any English, and was a little scary. Uh, he'll probably be listening to this, so he can uh, chuckle when he hears this. And we've become great friends, and thankfully he learned English, and I didn't have to learn Russian or we'd probably still be waiting. Um, And we established a friendship and a relationship, and now he is a formal missionary from our church because God opened a door to him that could not be opened to us with a group in Uzbekistan of Muslims who had become Christians. But because of other politics and other things, we couldn't go there, probably wouldn't have gone there, but... Oleg has and in God's providence he speaks their language that's where he grew up with that background and so now because we pray for them we've commissioned him we provide financial support for him uh, to go and disciple a group of people in Uzbekistan on the you know far far away God has to do that we couldn't have done that and I'll say this, they can't do that without us, and we can't do what we're doing without them. Each each party is playing a role in God's plan to expand his kingdom. Um, so um, God accomplishes this in so many ways. Again, John Piper said, God's always doing 10,000 things in your life, even though you might only be aware of three of them. Um I remember going to a class reunion, and two different people came up and said, this is a 20-year class reunion. Somebody I hadn't seen in 20 years. I used to watch you in high school when you were doing those prayer meetings and Bible studies. I didn't know they were watching. And they said, I just want you to know I became a Christian. And so you don't know what God's doing, right? And you don't know when he's going to do it or how he's going to do it because God accomplishes things in a variety of ways. He's the creator of the universe, and he's not going to be restricted by us. And so throughout the years, he, uh, he has employed a variety of means and people to call his people and accomplish his mission. No stone will be missing from his building. Um, in fact, the beaches have, by and large, all been stormed, and now we're kind of bringing in the occupying forces Because the Bible has told us the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. So the church, in all her manifestations, is on a mission to redeem fallen man, and the mission is the gospel, the good news, that the death has been, that death has been conquered, and eternal life in Jesus Christ is now proclaimed, and we do it right here, we do it over there, we do it everywhere, and we do it formally, and we do it informally. All the time. After the resurrection, Jesus didn't waste any time implementing this next phase of his mission because there is work, there was and is work to be done. Um, and I think I'm going to stop here. I've got more, but um, let me uh, glance here. I want to just close with a few quotes um, and then we have a f- few minutes for questions or discussion here. So again, um, Paul started right where he was and that's where I want to challenge you to start with mission. It's good that we have missionaries that we pray for and support, but you're a missionary too. You're a disciple maker also. Um So start where you are. That's where we're supposed to start, with those who happen to be there. Who happens to be in your life right now? We're the body of Christ, and we're on the very same mission to save the world. So look around you. God, put those people in your life for a reason. They need a Savior and a King. They need to have their sins forgiven. They need to be new creations. And so start with the person that's right in front of you, and then God will open up bigger opportunities. Abraham Kuyper said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. N.T. Wright. Left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy, acquiescing in the general belief that things may be getting worse, but that's that there's nothing much we can do about them, and we are wrong. Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. John Piper, God is pursuing with omnipotent passion a worldwide purpose of gathering joyful worshipers for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation He has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the supremacy of his name among the nations. Therefore, let us bring our affections into line with his and for the sake of his name, let us renounce the quest for worldly comforts and join his global purpose. Think about that. God's doing this. Don't you want to be in on the action? Don't you want to be there for the victory celebration and say, I was there. I was in the trenches. I participated in this work. And God is blessed, and now we're rejoicing in the fruit of his plan coming to pass. So discipleship, to summarize all this, starts when God calls us, and we become as little children, and we start to learn. And we learn from from the Bible, we learn from pastors and teachers, and we learn from parents and other Christians. So we're we're being discipled, but as we're being discipled, we become disciplers to others, maybe as a husband or a father or a friend or a neighbor. And this is how the kingdom grows and perpetuates. And we get to participate in God's work. Planting and watering while he gives the increase. Comments, questions? We have just a few minutes here. Randy, I was saying there's a danger in uh, drawing uh, hard lines between these these ideas of worship, evangelism, outreach, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Are- That's right. And our vocabulary, for, you know, for if you took a, if we went out and picked a flower, or pull, let's say pulled it up by the roots out of out the yard, just some something that was blooming, and we brought it into the laboratory and we cut it up and we said, okay, there's the. Somewhere in this area is the difference between the roots and the stem, and then there's the leaves and the petals and the stamen, and we could dissect it for the purpose of analysis, but the only place we truly appreciate it is when it's in the field, growing and living and a unified thing. And I think maybe that's the way we ought to see this, because we have a tendency to isolate evangelism. So let's go look up all the verses that talk about getting saved Uh, and, and we'll put together a nice little tract and package of the, you know, the Roman road. And this is evangelism. And I'm just gonna preach gospel sermons, which is always about getting saved every week. What's the problem with that? It's incomplete. It's not what, it's not the whole gospel. The whole gospel is the whole Bible. And so so I've had people say, well, you you know, I heard you preach a sermon on husbands and wives and I didn't hear you say anything about the gospel. Look, if it's the word of God and it's about husbands and wives, it is the gospel. I can't give you the Roman road in every single sermon. That's when we're doing what you're saying, where we, we narrow this down. You know, all I need is the Ten Commandments. All I need is... Love God and love your neighbor. Let's boil this down to the simplest, lowest common denominator, and that way I don't have to deal with all that hard stuff. Our law and grace, let's separate those. Uh, all the Bible is law, and all the Bible is grace. What else? Maybe the one thing I want to emphasize is seeing in this little snapshot for this weekend that discipleship is comprehensive. It is again like Kuiper, every square inch. We should be thinking in terms of living our lives, whether it's our work, our marriage, our children, our worship, and our church, our community, uh, our money, our leisure. Everything is to be uh, engaged in this calling because remember we died to ourselves. We gave up our lives, we gave up our relationships, we gave up our possessions and gave them to Christ, who now says, I want you to use your life, and I want you to use your relationships, and I want you to use your possessions for my glory, for the advancement of my kingdom. So now when I look at all those things, and things are, something's going haywire, if you're the devil, what do you want to do to a family? You want to disrupt it because a glorious family, a husband and wife that love each other and children who are godly and love their parents and all those, I mean, go on and on. It's not just about families. It's for individuals and singles and all that. If, if the devil can disrupt that and break the communion and create conflict and we can, and can keep you immature, unlike Christ, then he's one, right? He can stop the advance of the kingdom right there. Who wants to be like you? If that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with that. But if what we're presenting is a true picture of Christ and what he does to a person and to a family or to relationships, that's attractive. That's called adorning the gospel. That makes people say, I don't know what you've got, but I want some of that. Tell me about it. So, but again, as one of you—I don't know if it's Roy or Nathan—probably both of you pointed out, it it starts with us. If we're not learners, we can't be teachers. If you're not growing actively, if you don't—if you're not reading the Bible and reading books and thinking and having conversations, the the Deuteronomy uh, six passage that says when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk in the way, that's where the Word of God is to be. Yeah, formal family worship, yes. But it ought to just be part of the conversation of your household. It's normal to be driving down the road and have a conversation about something, about, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, that hawk that's flying and how God made it and why? Just because he wanted to and it's beautiful, and it's phenomenal, and it glorifies him. I mean, even a little things like that just teach your children to think in those terms. So um, I'm going to stop, and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the weekend, for the opportunity to think a little more about discipleship and Uh, the comprehensive nature of that, we thank you that you love us and that you not only, uh, promise to take us to a new place, to a new destination, but you've already, that we've already begun that journey and that it's happening as we speak. Help us as men to honor you, to be truly thankful and to show that gratitude by the way we live. So bless us now as we leave this place to go tend to Um, the places you have called us to tend and prepare us even now as we gather tomorrow for worship together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.